And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Can't wait to the Old West, the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is August the 21st, 233rd day of the year. 132 days remain to the year's over with. Holidays and observances. It's Discovery Day, International Day of Remembrance and Tribute to the Victims of Terrorism, Internet Self-Care Day, Nag Panchami, uh, that's the tradition of worshipping snakes in the Hindu tradition, uh, National Brazilian Blowout Day, National Report Upcoding Fraud Day, National Senior Citizens Day, National Spumoni Day, Ninoy Aquino Day, and San Martin or San Martin Day. Well, in 959, Heraclius becomes the 25th Bishop of Liege. 1140, Song Dynasty General Yu Fei defeats an army led by Jin Dynasty General Wu's Hu at the Battle of Hanqing during the Jin Song Wars. 1169, Battle of the Blacks. Uprising by the Black African forces of Hadamut Army along with a number of Egyptian emirs and commoners against the Saladin. Uprising is defeated after two days which consolidated Saladin's position as master of Egypt. And he was uh, quite the fearsome war leader during the Crusades as well. 1192, Minamoto no Yoritomo becomes uh, Sa'i Kashogun and a de facto ruler of Japan. Uh, it was the twelfth day of the seventh month of the third year of Kinkyu, 1331. King Stephen Euros III, after months of anarchy, surrenders his son and rival, Stefan Dusan, who succeeds as King of Serbia. 1415, Henry the Navigator leads Portuguese forces to victory over the Baronids at the conquest of Cuta. 1680, Pueblo Indians capture Santa Fe from the Spanish during the Pueblo Revolt. 1689, the Battle of Dunkeld in Scotland. 1716, the seventh Ottoman Venetian War, the arrival of naval reinforcements and news of the Battle of Petrovaradin forced the Ottomans to abandon the siege of Corfu, thus preserving the Ionian islands under Venetian rule. 1770, James Cook formally claims Eastern Australia for Great Britain, named it New South Wales. 1772, King Gustav III completes his coup d'etat by adopting a new constitution ending half a century of parliamentary rule in Sweden, installing himself as an enlightened despot. I think that's what we have here now, though I wouldn't call him enlightened. 1778, American Revolutionary War. British forces began besieging the French outpost at uh, Pondicherry. Uh, 1791, the Vodou ceremony led by Duddy Bookman turns into a violent slave rebellion beginning the Haitian Revolution. 1808, Battle of Vimerio 
British and Portuguese forces led by General Arthur Wellesley defeat French forces under Major General Jean and Doche Junon near the village of Vimeiro in Portugal. That was the last Anglo-Portuguese victory of the Peninsula War. Six, uh, 1810, John Baptiste Bernadotte, Marshal of France, is elected Crown Prince of Sweden by the Swedish Reichstag of the Estates. 1821, Jervis Island is discovered by the crew of the ship, Eliza Francis. 1831, Nat Turner leads black slaves and free blacks in rebellion in Southampton County, Virginia. It claims the lives of 55 to 65 whites and about twice that number of blacks. 1852, the Tingan Indians destroy Fort Selkirk in the Yukon Territory. 1858, the first of the Lincoln-Douglas debates is held in Ottawa, Illinois. 1862, the Stand Park, the first public park in Vienna, opens to the public. Uh, 1863, Lawrence Candace is destroyed by pro-Confederate guerrillas known as Quantrell's Raiders. He was a teacher before the, the war broke out, as I understand it. 1878, American Bar Association is founded in Sarasota Springs, New York. 1879, the locals of Knock County, Mayo, Ireland, report they are having seen an apparition of the Virgin Mary. Apparition is later named Our Lady of Knock, and the spot transformed into a Catholic pilgrimage site. 1883, an F5 tornado strikes Rochester, Minnesota, leading to the creation of the Mayo Clinic. And in spite of rumors to the contrary, it is not in County Mayo. 1888, the first successful adding machine in the U.S. is patented by William Seward Burroughs. 1901, 600 American school teachers, Thomasites, arrive in Manila on the USAT Thomas. Uh, 1911, the Mona Lisa is stolen by uh, Vincenzo Peruga, a Louvre employee. 1914, World War I, the Battle of Sherevely all a successful German attack across the Lumber Sambray that preempted a French offensive in the same area. 1918, on this date, World War One, the Second Battle of the Somme begins. 1942, World War II, the Guadalcanal Campaign. American forces defeat an attack by Imperial Japanese Army soldiers in the Battle of the Tenaru. 1944, Dunbarton Oaks Conference, prelude to the United Nations begins. 1944, World War II, Canadian and Polish units captured a strategically important town of Falaise, Calvados in France. 1845, physicist Harry Doglin is fatally uh, radiated in a critical criticality accident during an experiment with the Demon Court at Los Alamos National Laboratory. For those who are not familiar with the Demon Court, it was a spherical 6.2 kilogram, that's about 14 pounds, subcritical mass of plutonium, uh, about 3.5 inches in diameter, manufactured during World War II by the U.S. nuclear weapons development effort, the Manhattan Project. It was to be official core for an early atomic bomb. And it's prepared for shipment as part of the third nuclear weapon to be used in Japan, but when Japan surrendered, the core was kept in Los Alamos for testing and potential use later. It was involved in two criticality accidents at the Los Alamos Laboratory, one on August 21, 1945, and the other on May 21, 1946, and each of these accidents resulted in a fatality. 
Both of these experiments were designed to demonstrate how close the core was to criticality with a tamper, but in each case the core accidentally placed in a critical configuration. Uh, physicist Harry Daglin and Louis Slotin suffered acute radiation syndrome and died soon after that. Others present were also uh, exposed, but they didn't uh, die as a result. Eventually, in the summer of '46, the core was melted down and the material recycled for use in other cores. There was something about the Demon core that um, no one could figure out. 1957, Soviet Union successfully conducts a long-range test flight of the R-7 Samyakar, the first intercontinental ballistic missile. 1959, U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower signed an executive order proclaiming Hawaii the 50th state of the Union. Hawaii's admission is currently commemorated by Hawaii Admission Day. 1963, Saldo Pagoda raids the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, special forces loyal to Ngodin Nu, brother of President Ngodin Diem, vandalized Buddhist pagodas across the country, arrested thousands and left an estimated hundreds dead. 1965, the Socialist Republic of Romania is proclaimed following the adoption of a new constitution. Uh, 1968, Cold War, Nikolai Kosesu, a leader of the Socialist Republic of Romania, publicly condemned the Soviet-led Warsaw Pact invasion of Czechoslovakia and encouraged the Romanian population to arm itself against possible Soviet reprisals. 1968, James Anderson Jr. posthumously gets the first Medal of Honor to be awarded to an African-American Marine. 1971, a bomb exploded in the Liberal Party campaign rally at Plaza Miranda in Manila, Philippines, with several Antar Marcos political candidates injured. 1982, Lebanese. Civil War. First troops of a multinational force lands in Beirut to oversee the Palestine uh, Liberation Organization's withdrawal from Lebanon. 1983, Philippine opposition leader Nigno Aquino Jr. is assassinated in Manila International Airport, uh, now renamed the Nino Aquino International Airport in his honor. 1886, 1986, good lord. Carbon dioxide gas erupts from volcanic lake Laos in Cameroon, killed up to 1,800 people within a 20-kilometer range. 18, 1988, 6.9 Nepal earthquake shakes the Nepal-India border with a maximum mercury intensity of 8, which is considered severe, leaving 709 to 1,450 people dead and thousands injured. 1991, Latvia declares renewal of its full independence after its occupation by the Soviet Union since 1940. 1991, coup attempt against Mikhail Gorbachev collapses. 1993, NASA loses contact with the Mars Observer spacecraft. 1994, Royal Air Maroc Flight 630 crashes in Dur Ezunin, Morocco, killed all 44 people on board. 1995, Atlantic Southeast Airlines Flight 529 in Embraer EMB 120 Brasilia attempts to divert to West Georgia Regional Airport after the left engine fails, but unfortunately it crashed in Carroll County near Carrollton, Georgia, killed 9 to 29 people on board. 
In 2000, American golfer Tiger Woods wins the 82nd PGA Championship and becomes the first golfer since Ben Hogan in 1953 to win three majors in the calendar year. 2013, hundreds of people reported killed by chemical attacks in the Kulta region of Syria. And in 2017, a solar eclipse tra uh, traverses the continental United States. Well, it's interesting to observe all the things that uh, are considered worthy of historical note. It was during this general time period that uh, Elvis died in 1977. I was in South America when the news uh, came about. You know, we believe what we're told, generally, by our government. Unfortunately, quite often, what we're told are outright lies. For example, into World War II, Hitler died in the bunker. Body was burned by his chauffeur in a uh, bomb crater. The Soviets had a piece of his skull, no question about it. Well, that piece of skull that they have touted as belonging to Hitler belonged to a 21-year-old um, woman. The uh, the Nuremberg trials took place. We are going to make the Nazis answer for everything they did. And a few of them the bigger known people either committed suicide, so we're told, or were found guilty and hung. Well, one person who supposedly died was Martin Bormann, killed trying to escape from Berlin in 1945. Of course, the the mere fact that he supposedly died in Argentina in the uh, early 80s was not given much news play because that would uh, not be in keeping with uh, the position we've taken since World War II. And of course, we we were told that um, if you were a member of the Iron Guard in Romania, which was their version of the Nazi party, you couldn't come to this country for any reason. Well, at Fort Benning, there was a doctor named Emil Romatan. And I was an instructor. And quite often we would have uh, various people who took part in World War II in whatever uh, way they did talk to our classes, which in my particular case was uh, junior officers.
Well, Emil Romatan, who was a doctor, he did physicals. Turns out, and this was by his own admission, he was a member of the Iron Guard. He was a medic assigned to the German army, captured by the Russians, and held in a concentration camp for a good many years. And his job was treating German general officers. And there were a good many of them in Russian custody. Came to this country under Operation Paperclip. And I said, well, since Truman signed the bill, an executive order, no member of the Iron Guard could come to this country, how'd you get here? Oh, uh, the paperclip folks changed my file, took that out. And I started researching because, well, these are government records. It was pounded into us that they had to be accurate. And I discovered that the fear at the end of World War II was because the, the Nazis were quite a bit more advanced than we were in a lot of areas of science. If we didn't get those scientists here, their discoveries would be used against us. So whatever had to be said, whatever records had to be changed, was done for a good call, you know. Now this doctor, when he came here, he was asked, Again, these are his words. And there's also a federal court case uh, that discusses the same thing. He was asked, what do you want to do? I want to be a doctor. So the director of medicine for the United States Army said, poof, you're a doctor. Now he wound up doing my out-processing physical and made a total disaster of it. I was on crutches, and that's not even recorded. It cost me 15 years of fighting to get my service-connected disabilities recognized because I should be trying out for the Olympics. I was in such good shape, according to him. Well, I started checking, and I don't remember who told me to check the federal court cases. Well, he had been sued in federal court. He was an iron nose and throat specialist, so he said. And according to the federal court records, he killed a child by cutting the carotid artery from the inside while trying to insert a tube down his throat. So it was decided that um, he would just do physicals. The theory was he couldn't hurt anybody doing physicals. Now, what was even more interesting, I knew where he lived. He had an enclave outside of uh, Columbus, Georgia, which was posted as federal property. Which I found fascinating. Now, at the end of World War II, a lot of Nazis disappeared. And, of course, the theory was they were... They had died in the fighting or somehow miraculously made themselves, got themselves to Argentina. Well, a lot of them came here with help by the U.S. government. 
Um, you know, at the end of the war, there was a story that uh, a group of German guerrillas by the name called the Werewolf Brigade were left behind to uh, cause all kinds of much chaos and confusion as they could to give everybody in the hierarchy a chance to get what was called the National Redoubt, which is supposed to be a hidden fortification. Um, someplace near Burchus Garden. So everybody, of course, was just waiting for the this uprising of the werewolves. And the story I got was there were primarily um, folks invalided out of the army all the way down to about 10 years old. All going to fight to keep the Fuhrer's dream alive. Well, very few people realize just how much money the Nazis stole through their tirade through Europe. And a lot of that money was used to help fugitive escape and prop up a number of uh, regimes in South America. Um, Argentina especially considered itself more German than it did anything else. Juan Perón uh, was paid millions of dollars to prop up his government to allow uh, a lot of escaping Nazis to come there. If you remember, uh, Adolf Eichmann was uh, actually captured by uh, Israeli commandos uh, from the Mossad in uh, Argentina. And a lot of that money was earmarked also for uh, a continuing guerrilla war in Europe after the fall of the Third Reich. Well, a lot of that gold actually helped finance dictatorships throughout Latin America and the Middle East that utilized not only that stolen gold and other financial instruments, but also hired a lot of the Nazi uh, criminals to help train their military. Very few people realize the support that the Nazis got from South America and the Middle East. One individual that I read about, his name was Friedrich Swind. He died in 1980. He claimed the rank of SS Sturmbannfuhrer, but he was probably not really a SS officer. The rank was a Look, by, by the OSS is kind of a cover for his real job, and that was his manager of something called Operation Bernhard. Now, Bernhard was the, a currency forging project that the SS uh, operated. They came up with some of the most beautiful British pound notes and other currencies that you could, you've ever seen. Now, the original mission of Operation Bernhardt was the destabilizing of the world's currencies as part of a, the war effort. But in the end, it actually functions as a kind of slush fund uh, for secret operations 
use forged currency to pay uh, off uh, whatever payments they needed to make rather than genuine money. Alvin went to bribing officials in various countries. And these forged currencies are also used to buy much-needed raw materials for the war effort from neutral countries. And Swin conducted this operation from a villa in the Tyrol area that was surrounded by SS um, soldiers and oversaw transport of the forged currency by the truckload and trainload to other countries in Europe. The, uh, by all accounts, Operation Burnhout was extremely successful. At the end of the war, Swin gave himself up to the Army's CIC, Criminal Investigation Command, which they used their parlance, turned him, and used him as a double agent. First, they used him to locate stolen gold and currencies and artwork, because they were hidden all over Austria and other parts of Europe. And then he conducted counterintelligence work for the U.S. Army under the code name of Major Klimp. There's also evidence he was involved in uh, Alan Dumas's Operation Sunrise that uh, ensured the peaceful surrender of SS and Vermont forces in Italy. Now, at the same time, we're saying we're going to punish these Nazis. We're protecting them. Now, it gets even stranger. Now, at the end of the war, something called Ratlines were set up. I mean, most people have heard about Odessa, which was supposed to be an organization uh, uh, to help um, SS escape from Europe. And that may or may not have actually existed, but the Ratlines were definite reality. And they used different organizations to help Nazis escape. One of the most successful was actually run out of the Vatican. Now, Swin already had a network of uh, agents and safe houses that he used for, for moving his product. And the same agents he used to pass foreign currency now used to move vessels with a considerable number of SS officers who had cooperated with him in the surrender and now expected special treatment in return. Thomas himself was notoriously anti-communist, and when it came to Nazism, he had a relatively relaxed attitude. Just like the Vatican, and especially Pope Pius XII and future Pope Paul VI saw Nazis as a potential bulwark against the Russians. Um, another example of, of turning a blind eye several um, elements of various SS regiments had been um, surrounded and captured by French forces and uh, They were sent by the French to Southeast Asia to help them control their uh, their colonies, like Vietnam. And they were incredibly efficient and effective. They almost stamped out the Viet Minh. 
until Ho Chi Minh got the idea of going to the newspapers of the world and talking about the French using Nazis to kill poor defenseless Vietnamese. As a result of the uproar, uh, the French disbanded uh, elements of the Foreign Legion are almost totally Nazi. Now, as a result of Operation, Operation Sunrise, Sunrise, I can't talk, Sunrise, there was an underground network of SS officers working for allies rather than against them that provided American intelligence with a ready nate spy network in Eastern Europe. And this eventually became the, the Gellin organization run by Reinhard Gellin, a uh, high-ranking Nazi who convinced the Allies that he'd be able to penetrate Soviet intelligence and run operations behind Russian lines that the Allies couldn't. So instead of being tried, he was hidden. In the meantime, Swint proved his worth over two years of working with CIC and the OSS. And in fact, a number of the operations he was involved in are classified to this day. Eventually, he realized Europe was getting too hot for him, and he wound up using his own network to leave Europe and sail to South America. He used the false identity of a Croatian national with international Red Cross documents courtesy of... Uh, Father Draganovic, a uh, high official in the Catholic Church. He was Croatian national himself. And uh, Swin and his wife fled to Peru in 1946. In the 1970s, though, he found himself a wanted man again. The Italian government demanded his extradition from Peru for the murder of a man who had been trying to steal the quantity of the forged notes that Swin had created. Swin actually shot the would-be thief on the orders of uh, SS uh, strongman Ernest Kaltenbrunner. Of course, Swin was eventually released from custody, and thanks to the inter uh, intercession of uh, U.S. officials, and spent the remaining months of his life in Peru. He died in 1980. Reportedly, he was deeply involved across Barbie and with Barbie's network of fascist murderers and arms dealers in South America and Europe who uh, conducted assassinations as part of Operation Condor. You may have seen the movie Six Days of the Condor where there was a real Operation Condor. Operated under a quasi-official agreement between the governments of Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, and Paraguay. They sought out leftist and communist leaders and, to use their expression, neutralized them with extreme prejudice. That usually meant shooting them in the head. Agents of Operation Condor are responsible for assassinations and assassination attempts in Italy and Spain, as well as South America. And in, in addition, there were connections with the Italian Masonic Lodge, uh, Propaganda Du, or P2, heavily connected renegade Masonic organization of members in the military, the government, finance, media, and the church that was involved in assassinations and money laundering in Europe. They wanted to resurrect a Catholic fascist dictatorship in Croatia. Now, Swin, of course, was not the only source of funds for the what was called the Rat Lines. Uh, in addition to the gold and other valuables stolen by the Ustasi, 
that was the um, the fastest group in Croatia. There was a surging underground market in stolen art and artifacts from other parts of Europe as well. During the war, Hitler had decided to repatriate many of these artworks, had others stored in hidden places in cities like Nuremberg, where the famous Habsburg crown jewels were taken from a museum in Vienna. But there's a very strange story about the German Archaeological Institute. Um, in 1946, the Art Looting Investigation Unit of the OSS put together a list of people of interest who were implicated in the sack of public and private art collections that took place under the orders of the Third Reich. And this list has not generally been consulted by those studying the rat lines as it uh, considered a separate issue entirely. But there was an individual that many said may actually have been uh, Adolf Hitler. His name was George Anton Polk, P-O-C-H. And his diary was found. And in it, he talked about a, the Roman address at a German archaeological institute as a place you could go to get papers, which you needed to, uh, to hide. And as it turns out, no fewer than 10 individuals who were officials of the German archaeological institute or otherwise connected appear on the list the OSS put together. Now, keep in mind, the Germans had an organization called the Ananerbe. And basically, it was an archaeological uh, investigation unit trying to prove the existence of a master race. I don't make this stuff up, folks. It's too crazy. And a lot of well-respected anthropologists and archaeologists were members. They even did um, uh, digs in uh, Tibet, China. And the German Archaeological Institute was um, closely connected. Now, on this list was Dr. Jan Cross, librarian of the German Archaeological Institute in Rome. 1942 confiscated goods of the Czechoslovakian Institute in Rome. Uh, and in March of 1944, he went to the uh, Alt-Ausie to arrange for storage in the salt mine of objects that came from Rome. If you remember, a large uh, amount of uh, treasures, art treasures, and gold bullion were found in a salt mine. Then it was Professor Ludwig Curtius, director of German Archaeological Institute. He assisted Prince Philip von Hessen in his acquisitions for Germany. Professor Dr. Friedrich Wilhelm Dijkman, head of Christian Archaeology section of the German Archaeological Institute in Rome. Now, the fact that these people would be associated with the German Archaeological Institute and the Rat Lines 
was earth-shaking news at the time. Then you got Dr. Siegfried Fuchs, Deputy Director of German Archaeological Institute in Rome. He was responsible for the seizure of Czechoslovakian Archaeological Institute in 1942 and for the transfer to Germany the Archaeological Institute and the Herziano Libraries. Now, the, all the various archaeological institutes in many cases had a custody of ancient treasures. The Czechoslovakian Archaeological Institute had several, um, well, I guess you could say, uh, historical treasures. And they all went to Germany. Now, there's a long list of these folks. You've got two directors, a deputy director, other officials of the German Archaeological Institute, as well as a member of the German embassy staff in Rome and a German consul in Rome. And this is an indication the institute itself was deeply involved in the operation of the rat mines and wasn't merely one or two bad apples trying to make extra money or win points with the, with the Reich. Actually, we, so we can see from the above uh, list, Doctor, uh, Director Dr. Siegmund Fuchs was himself believed to be an OSS overgroup and Fuhrer, a member of the SD, or Secret Service, assigned to Rome. Also summoned to join the Waffen-SS by 43 when it appears as if Rome was about to fall to the Allies who had landed in Sicily. He'd been insisting the archives and artifacts at the Institute of Rome be evacuated, but unfortunately, due to indecision, they couldn't get an agreement, but in, uh, in the end, the evacuation of the institute's holding had begun, and the property of the German Geological Institute in Rome had been transferred to a salt mine at Bad Aussee, about 100 kilometers southeast of Salzburg. Now, the area around Bad Aussee and its neighboring town of Alt Aussee was where the Nazis had hidden a huge cache of stolen art in the salt mines, including priceless Michelangelo and Vermeer works. And the institute itself... As I said earlier, was strongly linked to the Ananerbi, and the two organizations had joined forces in order to com compete with Alfred Rosenberg, one of the architects of the Reich's uh, racial policies, who wanted his own archaeological and anthropological institute. Everybody had their own little um, specialty, I guess you could say, and whoever Hitler smiled on got a financial shot in the arm. Now, researchers felt this was a tantalizing lead, courtesy of the Polk Diary, and it added another dimension to what I already knew about the rat lines, for addition to the Ustasi, the SS, the CIC, the OSS, the Red Cross, and the Catholic Church. Now, German academia in the form of the Archaeological Institute was another link in the underground network of escaping fugitives. And these were fugitives with access to nearly unlimited funds in the form of priceless art objects and archaeological artifacts. In fact, um, it was here in Texas in a cave that one of the very first Bibles was found. It had been stolen from uh, Birch's Garden, if I'm not mistaken, and it wound up here in Texas. And if you can picture the looting of the Baghdad Museum at the time of the Second Gulf War and how many Sumerian, Babylonian, and Arcadian uh, 
artifacts made their way to the international market. We can imagine how easy it would have been in the days before computers and the internet to hide and ship and sell valuable paintings and sculptures and ancient religious objects to uh, interested parties who had no scruples about provenance in those unsettled, chaotic post-war days. There were many SS officers and art specialists who were active in Austria and the Netherlands. Those are the regions where Anton Folk, uh, Polk and his wife were operating, and indeed uh, the Nazi thieves who were responsible for looting art from the Netherlands worked uh, for Sessenquad, a friend of the Polk couple from their days in Austria. And if you remember, Sessenquad was one of those that wound up at Nuremberg. Now, George Anton Polk styled himself as a doctor. But a number of people he came in association with who did have medical training said he knew no more about medicine than he knew about how to build a, on a hydrogen bomb. His wife, who was a uh, somewhat medically trained, um, basically had him under her wing until they both died. If, in fact, that was... Hitler, who supposedly died in Indonesia rather than uh, in the bunker or South America, that would be in there, that would be a place he could hide. Nobody'd look. You know, Amsterdam at that time was a major European art center, and the Nazis lost no time in ransacking both the museums and the private collections that were in Jewish hands for objects to enhance the the Reich's, uh, the Reich's hoard. One of those in charge of seizing Jewish property in the Netherlands was an SS officer named Hans Fischbach, an aide Adolf Eichmann and the Reich's uh, finance minister in Holland under Sussenquat. He was a member of the Freundkreis Himmler, along with Wolfram Sievers and a few others, and was a close confidant of the SS leader. After the war was the indispensable father Dragonovic who signed his fraudulent Red Cross passport application. If it wasn't for the Catholic Church, the number of escaped Nazis would have been cut in half. If you could get to the Catholic Church, you were pretty assured of getting away. Fischbach assumed the name of Jacob Schramm and Fred de Buenos Aires in 1951. That was the same year the, the Polk couple left Europe for the same destination. Fischbach arrived in Argentina in February 51 and the Polk couple at the end of that year. The diary um, ran like a road map of who to contact and where to go and how to escape from uh, the collapsing German Empire. And the diary directly implicates the Institute as the escape organization. And it seemed to link two names, Oppenheim and Kruger, directly with escaping. Unfortunately, we don't have the archives of the Institute available, something about which other historians have complained. But the names Oppenheim and Kruger do appear on the OSS list of red flag names associated with stolen art. In fact, the name Oppenheim appears as Oppenheim Jean Paris Rudy FBG St. Honore, small dealer dealt only with Bornheim, and of course the name Kruger several times. There were three Krugers 
Um, it represented Italy, Germany, and France, and none of them is linked directly with the Institute, although all three could have used the services of the Institute to evaluate what they stole or to store them until they could be hidden in other locations. The first Kruger, Oberst, commander of the 71st Infantry Regiment, a member of the German uh, Kutschutz in Italy, was a Wehrmacht officer. He's also a member of the German Kutschutz, or Art Conservation Group in Italy. He would have been the most logical of the three Krugers to have been involved with the German Archaeological Institute during the war and to have been involved in the underground networks after the war. And there was a, a Kruger also working for the mysterious Vinord travel agency in Buenos Aires that arranged immigration documents for fleeing Nazis. And while Kruger was a relatively common German name to come across it in two important locations, one at the Institute uh, and the other at the uh, end of the rat line of Buenos Aires suggests that um, if you're looking for connections, that was an important one. And the one in Vianord was linked directly to SS officer Carlos Fodner's leg of the rat line. Both the Fodner and the Dragonovic links in a chain were operative in 1951, and that was the year that Polk escaped. Well, the one researchers have said, the more one investigates the information contained in the Polk diary, the more one's led to a stunning conclusion that the couple identified as George Anton and Hella, H-E-L-L-A, Polk, were in the middle of a heretofore unknown and unacknowledged link in the escape system of Nazi war criminals. One that included not only former SS officers and their supporters in the Catholic Church and the intelligence communities of several nations, including the U.S., I might add, but the governments of unaligned and neutral countries such as Argentina, Peru, Bolivia, and Chile, as well as a number of Arab nations in the Middle East. Now, the threat of Soviet communism was considered so dire and so immediate that roughly half the world signed a pact with the devil in order to thwart it. A cabal of SS officers, Ustasha war criminals, Latin American fascists, and Catholic prelates were convinced that the World War was imminent, and they'd be in a perfect position to exploit the opportunity to create a new Fourth Reich. The Nazis lost their country in their Third Reich, but in another sense, they won the War of Ideas. They convinced only the dictators like Perón of Argentina and Strassner of Paraguay of their usefulness in this coming conflict, but a number, uh, they could number seasoned American intelligence officials like Alan Dulles among the converted, as well as the generals running Operation Paperclip, as I indicated with uh, Dr. Romatan. I mean, the federal court said he wasn't even qualified to be a doctor, but the federal government kept him doing physicals for the remainder of his life at a high salary, I might add. And it was due to this unholy alliance that a vast network of venial geniuses was allowed to expand throughout the world, poisoning every political system with which they came in contact with the venom of fear. And there's only one more link in this chain of evidence, and that's the relationship between the fugitive Nazi networks and their collaborators in the Middle East. And that's a link that uh, actually will validate the information represented by the Polk Diary in a most unsettling way. Now, one interesting thing that um, I did want to point out, and this is not, I can't find it mentioned 
literally any place else. Um, you know, Franco was supported by uh, Nazi troops. They were called the Condor Legion. And the, uh, where is it at? I marked it. Hmm. Well, there was There was actually regiments within the SS of Muslims. They were, uh, they fought on the Eastern Front. There were people of every shape, form, religious belief uh, supporting the Nazis. And what's interesting is the primary proof in the West that Hitler was dead was Trevor Roper's book. The media never reported other um, views. Um, for example, October 27, 1945, Aldo Abetz, the Third Reich's ambassador to the Vichy government of occupied France, he did an interview with the French newspaper, France Soir, and specifically stated that Adolf Hitler is certainly not dead. Now, it turns out, if you look at the background of Trevor Roper, who was a, not a combat soldier, he was a intellectual, an academic. He interviewed prisoners, anybody else he could get access to, and absolutely nobody told him they saw Hitler dead, except the chauffeur. But several other people made statements totally contradictory to what the chauffeur said. They were in a bunker with concrete walls. And people said, yeah, we heard the shot. That would be impossible. Supposedly he shot himself. Somebody else said he took poison. Um, Eva Braun supposedly was found with her head resting gently on his shoulder. She had taken poison. But that particular poison would have called, uh, caused uh, spasms. And uh, there's no way she'd have been sitting there with her feet under her, her head resting gently on his shoulder. She'd have been on the floor throwing her up, throwing up everything she had for the last two weeks to eat. Then October 17, 1955, ten years after, although Edmondson gave his interview, a CIA report 
dispatch number A472. And marked secret, wasn't declassified until after the Nazi War Crimes Disclosure Act was signed into law by President Clinton. And it said, with reference to the information submitted by station CIA slash LA concerning the alleged report that Adolf Hitler stole alive, the files of the CIA LA contain similar information received from the same source it resides in, and that's redacted. Memorandum goes on to give information received from a February 1954 memo detailing a conversation between a CIA agent and Philip Citroen, uh, a co-owner of the Maracaibo Times in Venezuela, that he met somebody who resembled Hitler in Tunja, Colombia, and that's an area known to be heavily populated by former Nazis. What's interesting in the re- present context is the fact reported in the report that Philip Citroen is reported to be employed with a Dutch steamship company. He and his brother Francois uh, went into partnership with Alexander von Doven, that's Council of Maracaibo, to establish the Maracaibo Times. Parts of this file, still classified to this day, marked access restricted. No explanation. I think there's as much evidence that he survived Berlin as there is that he died in Berlin. And if, in fact, he was Polk, he finished out his life living in the Middle East. And the Middle East um, thought the Nazis hung the moon, let me tell you. There was another report that had a photograph attached to it that showed Citroen sitting next to a man who very closely resembled Hitler. The uh, legend on the back of the photo said Adolf Schottelmeyer, Columbia, 1954. Well, the handwriting was unmistakably that of a European or somebody trained in European penmanship. The cover page of the report, signed off by a number of unidentified CIA employees, has a handwritten notation in the right-hand corner. It said, have fun. This this man with Dutch connections in South America, a CIA report that's still redacted and pages of which are still restricted. The report to the CIA dated February 1954 on Hitler's uh, presence in Colombia. His subsequent disappearance from that country at the same time that George Polk arrives in Jakarta, Indonesia, paints a very different picture from what we've been told. The FBI, which had been following up every report of Hitler being cited in South America, suddenly stopped investigating. Now, one of the earliest sightings reported to Hoover was November 13, 1945, and it reflects an OSS report that was dated a month earlier and wound up on Hoover's desk. The FBI reports in the form of a letter to a member of the U.S. Embassy in Buenos Aires, whose name is still redacted to this day, 
and is entitled Hitler Hideout in Argentina. Information contains a solid where the pro-Nazi sentiments of a certain area of Argentina are concerned, and it's very revealing of the type of environment the Nazis could expect to find there. Uh, concerns of Mrs. Eichhorn, who at the time ran a spa in the town of Mafalda, Argentina. Eichhorn claims she heavily supported financially the Nazi party and the propaganda efforts of Goebbels. Further claims she had made the necessary preparations to host the Fuhrer, should he be so kind as to come to Argentina. Went on to claim that she and her family used to visit Germany and that they stayed with Hitler when they were there. Well, you may think this is just the ravings of a little old lady in a remote South American village. But news reports indicate at the time La Falda, Argentina was a major center of pro-Nazi sentiment, both during and after the war. According to an article by the, the journal journalist Johannes Steele, and included in the FBI dossier, dossier on Hitler, the Argentine chief of the German labor front is now believed to be in Calamuchita, in Cordoba province. So, at the end of the day, there's as much evidence he survived and got out of Germany as there is that he died there. Well, on that note, we can end today's show. We'll be talking more about little snippets that folks send me. Until the next show, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.